Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing out there? I'm sure I heard a bunch of resoundings. Great. It's Thursday, right? Tomorrow is Friday. Finally get time off in this long work week. Big work week. Yesterday, I, in addition to last night's show, I taped two other shows yesterday during the day. It was crazy all day. It's been crazy. So I did, I did, I did two tapings yesterday in addition to the show. I did a taping before the show. I did a taping um, around midnight for another show. So I've been really busy, and uh, it's been wild. And my name, by the way, I keep forgetting. My name is Charlie. Now, my name is Charlotte, and I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, and we also have branches in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. So we've expanded out a bit. So if you have any paranormal needs that you need help with, anything like that, cleansings, shoot me an email. You can do that on Facebook. You can do that on Twitter. All the major, all the major social media places. So check us out. Also, our website's going to be up, and uh, I had to redo our whole website, so that's going to be back up in about two weeks. So you guys can check out. But in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of me through that, you know, like a website thing, check out the radio website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Okay, that's another way to get a hold of me. All right, so we're here. If you're watching from Facebook and you like what you see tonight, please feel free to hit that like button and to hit the follow button because I'm always looking for followers. I love having followers. It's so fun to, to communicate with you guys. I mean, I'll see you at the store, you know, I'll see you in different places, and you can always walk up to me and talk to me. All right, tap me on the shoulder. Even if I'm carrying something that's like 300 pounds or something, you know, just tap me on the shoulder. I might drop it on your foot, but I'll talk to you. So, yeah, hit that like and follow button on Facebook if you're watching from uh YouTube, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner down there. That is our mascot. You click on that, you click on that, that'll have the nice red subscribe button that pops up. Subscribe to our videos. We've got 450 different videos over there, different topics. I'm a journalist. I'm a photojournalist, so I like to mix it up so it's not always about ghosties. Tonight, my guest, I hope I say his name right, Craig Kampelbossel. You know how I am with names. UFOs, aliens, one of my favorite topics. We're going to be talking to him about that, so I'm really excited, super excited. Um, years ago, I used to see stuff in the sky all the time. That's why I have questions for, for Craig, because I, you know, sometimes I think people are prone to seeing stuff. Now, whether we're abducted or not, who knows? But I know even as a kid, I saw stuff in the sky. And as I got older, because I was always out late at night, I used to see weird things like I'd be driving home and I'd see a cloud light up. And then I see something shoot up out of the cloud. Then the cloud wasn't dark anymore. So I don't know what that was about. But I'm talking straight up. I'm not talking like at an angle, like an airplane would do, or a helicopter. And there could have been a copter, yes. But it went up so fast. I don't think so. You know? And then there's that thing I'm always telling you guys about losing time that time on the freeway. What happened in that hour where we ended up like 30 miles out of our way? So who knows? But uh, that's what we're going to talk to Craig about tonight. Because he's... He's, he's into this just as much as I'm into this, and uh, I'm excited to have him. So without further ado, let me bring him in. 
Good evening. Hey, Charlotte. So I was just following you on all your Facebook stuff when you were talking about it. So <laughs> oh, I, on, I was like, whoa, I can follow, follow, follow. I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I am social media lately, boy, I'll tell you. It's yeah. a lot of fun, too. When I took on TikTok and added TikTok to everything else, oh, my God, I was so overwhelmed. Yeah, I I, I stopped at TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's hard. You know, I enjoy, I, you know, I don't mind it, but creating like the humorous, I'm, I'm like, I'm not that I don't have a sense of humor. I have this real, real nice sense of humor, but I'm more serious when it comes to like the radio show and ghost hunting and all that. I'm really, you know, I'm real professional and serious. So it's hard for me to go over to TikTok and do something funny, you know, to get people's yeah, attention. Exactly. Exactly. I know. It's not, uh, uh, my uh, my days and nights are filled with so much stuff already to add TikTok. I don't think I could keep up. It's incredible. And now you've got like, YouTube reels too to add all that. This is true. Yeah. You should keep adding and adding and adding. You know, so I've got Facebook, Facebook reels, you know, TikTok reels, YouTube reels. It never ends. Yeah, never for ends. sure. Just to keep your name out there. That's all. Because I've heard That's that it. from people that have gone. And I'm going to ask you because you're a casting director. I'm going to ask yeah. you this. I've had friends in Hollywood who have gone in to, you know, to uh, audition. And one of the reasons why they didn't get the job is because they weren't out on social media enough. Is what well, they were this, this is true to an extent. Mm -hmm. it, um, some producers are of the ilk that I am of the ilk that it's the best actor for the job, not the one with the most Instagram followers. But I have worked with pretty obsessive producers who scour um, Instagram and start telling me to bring these people in. And I'm like, but they're not actors. Mm -hmm. Right, they're not professional actors, they can't carry a lead, it's not gonna work, that kind of thing. So, but if we're gonna hire somebody and it's between a couple of people, they will if somebody has a whole mess of tick uh, uh TikTok or Instagram followers, they'll probably go with that person. So makes sense. Well, it makes a lot of sense too. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they they now are putting in contracts that when the movie comes out that they have to post so many times on all their social media, all that kind of stuff. So I was watching Jamie Lee Curtis on TikTok, and I know she's a very private person. And it was funny because as the Halloween movie came closer, suddenly she had a, an account on TikTok and she was posting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Closer and closer. Well, she's been out there. Their first weekend did forty million, so yeah. that's pretty amazing for yeah. a movie that's been going for a gazillion years. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was a pretty good movie too. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. it I love bad. her. A lot of you know, a lot of the younger people don't get it because you know the way I had to explain this to people on Facebook because they just don't get the whole whole thing why that movie went the way it did. And I said, well. What you guys are forgetting is Michael Myers is 73 years old. 
Right. right. Fucking running around stalking people up and down stairs and stuff anymore. Exactly. That's, exactly. That's, you know, they'll, they'll come up with a new one. He'll have had a son who's crazy in a mental asylum and he gets let loose. And that'll that, be the new franchise. Well, you know what I think too, and that without giving the whole movie away, I think her granddaughter is going to um, lose her marbles. That's how they're going to continue. Probably. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's a woman. Yeah, who knows, you know? Yeah. Something out. But uh, safe to say, though, that's what I can tell people. Safe to say he is dead. After this one, I don't see any coming back. He's dead, yeah. You can't come back to what they did to him. You can't come back from that. There's no way. It's not going to happen. In fact, the first time I watched it, I got preoccupied, so I didn't see that part. And I was like, well, huh, what they do with him? You know? And my friend goes, come on, you got to see this. I'm like, oh, no, he's not coming back from that. But that movie, you know, in the beginning, when you, when you, the first Halloween, the first Halloween movie, that was the most terrifying thing because that whole now you see it, now you don't thing. That's what was so cool about it. Right. You know, with the shape. Yes. Anyhow, we're not here to talk about the shape, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now that everybody knows you're a casting director, essentially, right. tell me about you so you can tell everybody else. Well, I've been in the film business since I was 15. I've been, uh, I work behind the scenes, uh, um, just out of high school on the original Dune for David Lynch and uh, Conan the Destroyer with Arnold. And then uh, I began my casting career, which is well over 30 years. Uh, I write, produce, um, I have seven published books out and uh, gearing up uh, to, I've already shot one TV series, which we're selling now. And so I write, produce, direct. I love doing a little bit of everything all in the creative area as well. And of course I love writing about UFOs. So, How did you get into writing about UFOs? Did you have an encounter or, or what happened? Well, when I was 26 years old, I had a major spiritual awakening. And, and through that awakening, I started pondering what was out there in the universe. Mm -hmm. Never crossed my mind before that. And, and so I just started doing, uh, reading like every book I could get my hand on, started going to lectures, started meeting contactees, started going on investigations, and uh, just started learning as much as I could. I love studying the early contactees because they, they were actually interfacing face-to-face -face with human extraterrestrials, not greys or reptilians or anything off-kilter. Uh, so those were some of my, uh, the most favorite, uh, my most favorite ones mm -hmm. uh, to do. So, when you say human extraterrestrials, what what do you mean? Because I've never really thought about it as human extraterrestrials. Yeah, there's a there's a plethora of other human extraterrestrials living on other worlds, living on the interior of worlds. Uh, they all have different ranges of looks, um, skin colors, uh, beyond what we have on this planet. Some, mm -hmm. some are blue, some have green tints, some have rainbow wash, uh, some have patterned skin. 
um, all different kinds of things. So when you sort of do a deep dive into all of this stuff, you start meeting a bunch of different contactees and a bunch of different things. My last book was called The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. And, uh, oh, there it is right there. That is, look at there. And that book has done really well because it's, um, I went to all of the uh, early contactee cases and gained permission to use uh, the information from either the contactees or the publishers so that we would have a chronicle of what a lot of these are. And then if you're interested in learning more about a particular race, if you go to the back of the book under further reading, mm -hmm. it will tell you the actual, the actual book and website where to buy it. Awesome. Um, where uh, the originally, uh, if you want to learn about the original contact, with the person who was having it uh you can go there you can read more about it and some of them are kind of out of print there's only one place you can buy them so mm -hmm. that web those websites are up where you can go and and learn a whole lot more if you really want to do a deep dumpster dive right, <laughs> right. uh that kind of thing so what i find interesting with you saying that there's human aliens Jared Murphy, who comes on the show, um, wrote the book Not Aliens, you know, about the creations of like Stonehenge and stuff. Right. And, pyramids. and the last time he was on the show, he hit me with, well, he didn't hit me, but you know what I mean? He, hit, <laughs> he kind of blindsided me with the thought that the reason why none of us know how to build stuff like Stonehenge and all this is that these people got to the point where they had the technology where they could leave the earth, that they're living in other areas out in space, but they're human. Right. And with you saying what you're saying, it kind of goes ding, ding, you know. Well, look at it like this, Charlotte. There are over, there, I, I can't, I know the number, but I don't know it right. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's over a thousand pyramids all over the earth. Mm -hmm. They all happened in ancient times and how in the world do all these different cultures who had no means of meeting each other have the technology and the warehouse to build all these pyramids? Now, I'm not saying that they didn't build them, but how did they all decide, I'm going to build a pyramid? Right. Right. So you really have to kind of put it into perspective. And if you really think, did ancient aliens come and actually interact with ancient civilizations? And did they help them with technology? Did they help them to teach them how to build these things, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, you look at the Pyramid of Giza and there's many different explanations that it shows how they actually could have done it, right? And then there's the extraterrestrial explanation. And maybe it's something in between. We really don't know yeah. unless somebody has found some hieroglyphics somewhere that they're not going to share with the rest of the world. Right. 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 That, that explains that. 
So, I mean, that's a very interesting concept when you think about it. And um, it's if you look in ancient Egypt and you look at Pharaoh Akhenaten, that man looked like an extraterrestrial. I'm sorry. Yeah, they did. I mean, he did. And it is also said that um, Egyptians uh, were of the Syrian human culture that came to earth and that they were the ones that, that were uh, the founders of Atlantis. And when that was about to be destroyed, they all started migrating towards Egypt, mm -hmm. right? And then a lot of stuff there is based on Sirius, the star. Right. And um, and then if you really kind of think about it, where did Akhenaten come from? Mm -hmm. I mean, look at him. Yeah. I, I mean, they said he had a deformity. He had this, but he looked like a lot of the extraterrestrials who were very advanced with the very elongated heads, mm -hmm. uh, etc., because they have a very large brain capacity that uh, that they can store lots and lots of information. So they have they're using a hundred percent of their brain capacity, where I think we humans only use thirty three and a third. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, with you saying that, too, it makes a lot of sense because if they're breeding to come up, you know, with a hybrid and they started way back in ancient times, they wouldn't, the alien hybrids wouldn't look like that now. The alien hybrids would look more like us and they were able to, hey, what? they were able to breed all that out essentially to, you know, to, to mingle it enough so that, uh, you know, for all I know, the guy across the street's a hybrid, you know, because they've had all these hundreds of years, thousands of years or whatever. And that's all that, that those looks have been bred, you know, that the, what we look like now, it was the dominant gene that took over all that stuff. Well, there's many races that came and seeded the planet way, way back when. And the, the thing about hybridization is when you are an advanced race, you're a tech god of hybridization. You can basically do anything that you want. You can mix three or four different races. You could mix 33 races if you actually know and have the where all to do it. Um, some races come here and they may be human-like, mm -hmm. but you know they're different than us. And if they come to study our culture and study our earth, a lot of a lot of them like doing things like that. And they'll come to the earth, they will set up their bases underground. And what they will do is start a hybridization program for several reasons. One is so that they can start building bodies that are adapt to our atmosphere right. for breathing. And number two, to actually study us is to become us. And then they understand on a whole different level because this world is dualistic. Okay. Most, of, most of the universe is um, fully conscious. There are a lot of, there are, a lot of races that are uh, not fully conscious, mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, that might be neutral races or they might, they might be negative races, aggressive races, malevolent races, but the majority is benevolent and fully conscious. Absolutely. I'm just glad I haven't been, well, we don't know yet, but I can pretty much say I haven't been like, my, my genes haven't been combined with the uh, praying mantis race yet. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting too, is um, that right there, there are some people on the planet that are mantis hybrids. I actually know one and interviewed one uh, because I'm uh, I'm in the uh, middle of making the extraterrestrial species almanac into a documentary, so all these people who had these experiences, everyone's going to get to see being interviewed, and we're bringing the extraterrestrials to life through CGI and all other means. So, that is so cool. Yeah, it's going to be really really cool. Now, here's the big question. Everybody wants to know, anything look like Yoda or Grogu? Grogu? Nothing looks like Yoda, but Yoda is damn cute. That's why, I mean, every time I'm in a store and I see a baby Yoda, I want to buy it. And then I go, what am I going to do with it? I have right? like, they're just there. You know what I was thinking the other day, too? And I thought, you know what's so cool about this, too? Everybody's in love with that thing. In my lifetime, because it took, it took Yoda like 900 years to look like Yoda. Right. You know? So think of it in your lifetime. It's never going to grow up to where it looks like Yoda. It's always going to look that cute. Yeah, always, always. <laughs> yeah, Baby Yoda's the best. Baby Yoda's <laughs> the best. Disney had it going on on that one. Yeah. Um, there's a question in the chat room. Um, how many? See, how many races of aliens are there that you know of? Well, there's. Um, let me see if I have some in my notes. This will give you a little idea. Um, let's see here. All right. So the Alpha Centaurians say that they know of 1,019,000 races in the universe. Wow. Right? Now, the... Earth's registry number, there's a book called the Urantia book, and it's all about life in the universe. It's a massive, thick book. People can get it for free online. It's really an incredible read. And they say that uh, our registry number in the universe, Earth, is um, 5 trillion, 342 billion, 482 million, 337,666. Wow. Right. And I can't remember, I was looking up some information elsewhere, and I believe that the number of inhabited planets uh is over 10 what was it i can't remember it was it was quite huge quite huge but the, you know a planetary number means that that's out of like who knows how many planets but it doesn't mean that the, all those planets are inhabited right yeah wow. so yeah, it's it's mind blowing. I, I uh, 
I, I don't even, I can't even comprehend how big this universe is. And then it has multiple, multiple dimensional layers. There are um, super universe ovums that have um, 700,000 local universes within them. And there's seven super universes and those are all multidimensional. So I don't think anybody knows really what's all out there. I, I mean, you know, I would believe each super universe, is, uh, everything is always in the teaching realm where everybody learns something. All the planets and uh, in our universe are actual schools. We're learning duality. We're learning unconditional love. We're learning how to master our emotions here. Venus would be mastering unconditional love and some planets might be more learning uh, scientific or that kind of thing. Uh, pretty much up there, they call themselves spiritual because they're spiritual and they're scientists. They merge it together. They don't separate it like they do here on our world. This is so fascinating. Yeah. How did you find all this out? Is it just researching? Oh, long, long, long researching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So that's just the, the, the it's just mind boggling. Yeah, it is mind boggling. It's I I mean we we have no idea what it is, but when we leave this when we leave this world and we get back on the other side, we actually will realize just how much we are fully integrated into the universe and that we really are a unification of this love, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And people will understand. I mean, I've seen many a testimony of people who died and came back and said, oh my God, oh my God, this place is such a lie wait till you get over here. And we know anybody who goes home for a minute and is sent back, never wanted to come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you think when we, now here's the other question, because if, if we are mixed with alien DNA and all that, that when we die in reality, and this is all spectral, this is entertainment show guys. So for anybody that comes in later to listen, you know, don't, don't say it's misinformation or anything like that. But do you think that maybe when we die, we end up going back to whatever home planet we were bred with? Well, there's a place called the University of Melchizedek, and it's 490 planets. It's a university school for all beings in this universe and also other universes. Um, it's a very big uh, spiritual school. All the planets teach different things. And so when we do leave here, if we're not automatically in a reincarnation cycle. Some people have some bad karma and they literally have to come right back in to correct it. But if you're done here, you will go back to Melchizedek. You'll study a little more. You'll decide where you want to go next. And then you can go and have an incarnation on whatever that world is and that world they may live to two to three to four thousand years so it's a whole nother experience here it's a blink of an eye we you know i mean 
we get we get what we get. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I had a friend turn 30 recently, and I said, well, enjoy 29, because once 30 hits, it goes that fast. Once 30 hits, it's game over. It Ooh. goes by really fast. Like, oh, my God, yeah. Absolutely. So fast, so fast. So when you talk to some of these original people that, that you mentioned earlier, um, what was it like talking to them? I mean, obviously they were open with you or they wouldn't be in your documentary, but, I mean, when you started to really talk to them, was there any kind of comments read or anything like that? Any comments what? Any, or is there any kind of common thread between, you know, their knowledge of what's going on? Well, the knowledge, the knowledge pretty much from every race is that this planet is unique because of the duality and the diversity, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these beings are coming here to lend assistance and like out of Melchizedek, there's also a starseed school. And so uh, people, uh, inhabitants of the universe can also um, volunteer to become a starseed on Earth or another planet. And they can incarnate and they're given a curriculum of how quickly they have to quicken their spirituality when they're here to use the mind and the heart as one to get to that point, right? And, and to obliterate the ego because the more people that achieve this, the quicker the planet starts vibrating into the next dimension. And that's where we all get pulled up into the next realm of experience. We sort of go into this etheric astral now uh, world where we are still have, we're still physical to mm -hmm. an extent and we can travel back and forth. Ethereal beings like uh, in the UFO hotspots, uh, one of the ethereal beings um, visited George Van Tassel who ran the giant rock airport out in Landers, California, which is about 40 minutes from Palm Springs. Right. Mm -hmm. And he began channeling when he moved and he started running the airport. Him and his family lived underneath the rock because there was a prior home there from the person who ran it before. Mm -hmm. And um, he began channeling space beings all of a sudden in the early 50s. And uh, I, I have two witnesses who were with him, who I know went, went past a couple of years ago, one is still alive. And, uh, and then about a year later, he was sleeping outside in his cot. And uh, he said, usually when a plane or a car would come in late at night, the dogs would go crazy and be barking. He said, but this night I just woke up on my own accord and I saw a man approaching and the dogs were not barking. And so I got up and I, I met the man. It was dark, of course. And he said it was around 2 a.m. And uh, he introduces himself as Salgonda. He was wearing a silver suit, had short blonde hair. And behind him was his spaceship. And he asked George if he would like a tour of his craft. Now, George worked for Howard Hughes, and he also worked for Douglas Aircraft. 
So he knew about aviation and with them, with him channeling ETs, all they had to do was tune into his thoughts and they would know everything about George, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, he went and he had a tour of the ship. Uh, all the other, there were, I think, three other guys on the ship. They all were five, six. Uh, they were all wearing the same suits. Um, so uh, in, in UFO Hotspots, I, I tell that whole story. In fact, uh, the giant rock historian said, you had information I didn't even know of, right? And then Saul Gonda gave George these blueprints to build a building that he called the Integratron which was a cell rejuvenation machine. And that's how they, the ETs, stay looking young their entire life. So George had to figure out how he was going to raise the money. Howard Hughes gave him 20 grand. Mm -hmm. And he decided to start having um, UFO space conventions with all these people who were having contact with human extraterrestrials and they used to hold them out at giant rock and so over the decades remember no internet right. no nothing all they had was a phone and snail mail right mm -hmm. and so right. at a certain point there were over ten thousand people that were coming out to the desert to hear all of these contactees speak and to learn more about them. And then George built the Integratron about two to five minutes away from Giant Rock in a car where Salgonda told them to build it because there was a large crystal cachet below. And that desert was a huge quartz crystal cachet, as a matter of fact, right next to Giant Rock there's a whole mound that is made of quartz crystal. Wow. So, and when crystal and rock get together, they create impulses, which creates a vortex. That's why Sedona is a gigantic vortex because crystal is embedded in all the red rock all over Sedona, right? right. So giant rock and the Integratron are like, one of my favorite things in the world. Um, and uh, now uh, George built it. And when it was 95% done, they, uh, Salgonda told him not to turn it on because the world wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. So he didn't, he, Pat, George passed on, his wife sold it and a man owned it and it sat in disrepair for a long time. And then he sold it to three sisters who now own it and they refurbished it and made it all gorgeous again. And they hold sound baths up in the second story. Um, and that it's a sound chamber up there. So when you're hearing the singing bowls laying on a mat, you feel like you're levitating and you actually do feel your cells being rejuvenated. You walk out of there like you're walking on air. So at the end of each chapter in the UFO hotspot mm -hmm. is I give you all the information, right? 
So if you wanted to go to, to Giant Rock, you're not going to really find it. You're going to kind of have to have somebody take you there because it's in the middle of the desert. Mm -hmm. um, but if you wanted to hire the historian, her name's in the book, and she could take you out for night sky watching for UFOs with night vision binoculars where I can sit in chairs out there. Uh, if you want to go to the Integratron and get a sound bath, you have to go on their website and make a reservation. Uh, because if you don't, you can't get in the gates if you don't have a reservation, right? But you'll learn the history from them while you're there and get to see this cool history. So these two places are literally the birthplace of ufology. That sounds it's, cool. Yeah, it's where it all began. That's incredible. And yeah. when you talk about these people, and what, what made me think about this is that America in itself is supposed to be a melting pot of different people. Yes. And if I'm hearing you correctly now with these hybrids, because they're all from different, you know, aliens, it sounds like that the aliens are trying to do a more unifying thing by making the Earth a melting pot for all different species. Well, I, I think the same thing, and, and there are a lot of uh, benevolent races that are doing hybridization programs because they say when the earth shifts over into consciousness mm -hmm. that the people will feel more comfortable with somebody that is of the earth and also of the stars because they will therefore be the teachers for the rest of the people on earth set upon all the corners. Right. Mm -hmm. And instead of somebody coming down in a spaceship and that kind of thing that could frighten people, but when these people are already here now, look, there are lots of human ETs living all over this planet. They work in government positions they work in all kinds of things. There are hybrids at work for in the government positions. You know why? Because they are smart. Mm -hmm. They are uber smart. And even if somebody is abducted and it's not a reoccurring abduction, there are several cases that I've studied is that even though it's frightening for them, like where we might go and take samples from an animal, they're doing it with humans, but they leave a gift. And that gift starts to show itself over time, even if they don't remember the abduction. Sometimes they don't remember it for five to 10 years and it starts to creep in and they do... A reg they start doing regressions with the top uh, regressors like Yvonne Smith. Back in the day, it was Bud Hopkins, Barbara Lamb. And they start to see where these things happen. But what they are gained with is super, maybe they're super psychic. Maybe they're, they're, they're caring more about the earth and wanting to help the earth through different things like pollution and things like that, where before that was never in their minds. So, so they do are left with these gifts. And then, you know, we have the, the negative 
ETs that that abduct people and take their genetic materials against their will. And uh, so that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother side and topics and all of that, uh, you know, for another discussion, because I know we're talking about UFO hotspots tonight. So um, along that line that I have now, if you got the, the good, okay, the good versus bad ETs, you got the ones that, you know, are, are being helpful to humanity, but do they um, do anything about the ones that, that are doing the hostile abduction? Yes. Yes, they do. They, they watch them and that kind of thing. There's, um, let's see, how can I put it? So the bad, let's just say the malevolent ETs, if they want to come to a world and set up shop for its resources, including genetic materials, mm -hmm. they'll contact government leaders and they will um, dangle super technology in front of their face in exchange for allowing them to take genetic, genetic materials at will and to set up shop underground or to set up shop with the government, right? So there's talk of these, many of these kinds of things that have happened. So really what's happened is the benevolent ETs are unable to stop it because they were invited here by a government. Okay. You see, when you're invited, it's a different story. Now, I myself say, well, it, you can't allow, how can you allow then all these people to be taken and all of these things done to them right. as right. well? These are just areas that are gray areas and we really don't know. But I do know of one very, very benevolent race um, of humans who uh, somebody I knew very well was in contact with. And um, they were very, very concerned for the children of the world in the very poor communities such as India and uh, Africa, especially when parents would be dying of AIDS and they'd leave behind six, seven children and they had to fend for themselves. Mm -hmm. So they would go and they would um, talk to the children and say, would you like to come with us for a while? And then we will find you a new family on earth. And, and they would keep all the kids together until they found something. Can you imagine those stories when they come out? That's, That's gonna be amazing. I remember one story clearly that my friend told me was, that an uncle uh, had gotten his niece and nephew because the parents died and he couldn't afford to feed them. And he was taking them way out in no man's land to kill them because he just couldn't feed them. Okay. And that they came and they, they had a talk with him and, um, and he relinquished the children to them because they would take care of them and feed them and, 
and put them with proper families. So um, I do know that the African family ended up with a family in Canada. Uh, and I'm not sure where the other children went, but um, I'm sure someday some of those kids are going to write books about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. You know, as you were saying earlier about um, everything being integrated now, you know, with the hybrids, I agree with that 100%. You know, all this talk about disclosure, you know, through the government, and, you know, whether they're hesitated to do it. But I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. I think we're going to, if they do do it, we're going to learn about the technology. But as far as meeting and greeting an alien, we already are. And nobody realizes it. That's absolutely right. And by the way, I always say, you can go to MyHeritage and 23andMe and find out where you're from. Mm -hmm. One day, you're going to be able to go to, go, you know, Cosmos.com and find out where your alien DNA is from. You're part Pleiadian, you're part Syrian, you're part Octurian, you know, because those are a whole bunch of different genetics right. that are in our body that, that our people can't identify. That's funny. My heritage Galactica. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, when you talk about hotspots, and you know, we just talked about Sedona a little while ago, yeah, you know, because the stones are there. Is that why you think there's there's certain hotspots? Is because there's something there that attracts them, you know, the, with uh, stuff yeah. they can use, or or how's that work? So the hotspots are definitely where there are um, high caches of crystal, which makes giant vortexes, right? There attracted to that energy. It gives them the right coordinates to take off and land if they need to fuel their crafts with energy or whatever, they can also do that. Um, there's high areas where there would be benevolent extraterrestrial bases like Eseti Ranch in Trout Lake, Michigan, or in Sedona, where there are said to be military slash alien bases mm -hmm. because they're coming and going all the time. Now, Sedona has seen a plethora of blacked out black helicopters going over town all the time. So I've had many experiences in Sedona and um, I've seen lots of craft there with night vision binoculars. Uh -huh. um, and I saw a, a, I would call it a probe. I was staying up in town and I was driving down towards Bell Rock. I, I like going to Bell Rock to meditate because it's a masculine vortex. So it's a psychic vortex. And when you go, it just washes away all the crap from the city. <laughs> and you just feel so recharged when, when you're done. Mm -hmm. And um, so as I was driving down, I was looking at Bell Rock and Courthouse Butte, and I saw this giant metallic orb going Woo, like this towards me, like perpendicular on the side of the road coming towards me. I was going towards it. And I grabbed my cell phone and I snapped off a few pictures 
and got it. So I put it in the book. And then another time when I was on Bell Rock, I captured gigantic orbs that were milk white with all these different patterns going through it. So, so there is paranormal that goes along with it, right? And that is fascinating in itself. And one of the orbs and one picture that a friend took was bumped up against the entire side of my body. Wow. Yeah, and you can see it forming there. And um, I first gave them to the psychic Sylvia Brown. And I just said, Sylvia, what are these? And she said, those are angels, honey. Those are angels. That's angel consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I gave them to many other psychics over the years, not saying anything about it. And they all said the exact same thing. And um, the, uh, the, other hot spot besides all the vortexes in Sedona is just outside of Sedona in the Verde Valley. It's called the Bradshaw Ranch. And here it's paranormal, the ripping open of dimensions and Bigfoots and aliens as well. Wow. This ranch has seen it all ripped reptilians, uh, greys running around the property, terrorizing, you know, the family uh, in the thing. I mean, terrorizing in the sense that they're outside and they're seeing them with their, with their own eyes. Um, ships landing in the middle of the day. Uh, the, their truck being squeezed like a tin can by some kind of energy force. Uh, portals, um, when they would do investigations with a, a local UFO researcher for over four years, they would take pictures. They would get people in the pictures who weren't even there. They were in another dimension. They would take pictures or videos once they caught a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Another time they caught telephone poles, which aren't there. So it seems to be on this rotating thing. I was talking to a MUFON state director the other night who also is a psychic medium. And when I was telling her the stories, she said, I see it as a negative positive vortex in that area where one is turning clockwise and the other is turning counterclockwise. And that's why there's malevolent and benevolent experiences that are going on on that property. I said, well, that makes sense because between the ranch house and the little homestead house, which is the oldest structure in Sedona, mm -hmm. there's a tree and it's called the alligator tree and it has alligator bark because it looks like they're hide. And the wife always said that was the portal that they came through. Right. Right. So, yeah. And there was there was an alb a benevolent albino Sasquatch that protected her mare's fetuses from being stolen by the greys because other uh, ranches, uh, their mare's fetuses were being taken. Okay. So so there's just all this stuff that goes on there. And 
I mean, it's a fascinating place. If anyone dares to go, there is uh, there's a wonderful lady named Melinda Leslie, whose name I put in the book. She takes people out for night tours and everyone gets their own pair of night vision binoculars. And she'll take you out to one spot to go sky watching. Or if you want her to go to the Bradshaw Ranch, you mm -hmm. could. You definitely need a guide to take you there because you need a four-wheel drive to get out there. Hmm. Um, I think going there in the daytime is fine. Um, you, you would have to be pretty brave to go there at night, shall we say, because you can't see a thing when you're out there. It's, it's dark. Wow. You know what makes me think of, I have a psychic friend, I say psychic friend, you think of the phone calls, but I have a psychic friend who lived in Tucson. Yeah. And she said she was doing dishes one day and she saw a T-Rex walk by her window. Good. And now that you said that, it makes me wonder. I always say this on the shows too, is after reading the Mojave incident and seeing what they went through and being a ghost hunter and thinking about this extra dimension thing, it makes me wonder what I'm investigating. Right. Because when you think about the EVPs, the EVPs always sound so far off. They're always a real low frequency or they sound mechanical or it's something like that. Right. You know, so right. we could be seeing a different, we could be just tuning into whatever um, dimension they're in at that point and be communicating. That's, right. That's absolutely right. And uh, by the way, um, I've gotten uh, many EVPs of extraterrestrials. I believe it. Even speaking in their own languages. Interesting. I, I got one where it was a class A as if you and I are talking right now, right? And I played it for everyone under the sun. I said, do you know what language this is? Nobody knew. Mm -hmm. Um and then I met somebody who spoke five star languages mm -hmm. and I, I played it for him. And he said, oh, that's Pleiadian. And they're saying that they opened up a base near your house. And I said, oh, wow. And then I played it for another lady who has, uh, she's in Scottsdale mm -hmm. and she has 28 extraterrestrial benevolent vortices on her property it is like unbelievable when you go there and she said the same thing she goes oh that's pleiadian script that's what that is so um but the uh a lot of times you know the evps if you tune in and you want to talk to benevolent ETs, make sure you say benevolent and make sure you put protection around you because you don't want to get the bad ones, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, I do. I watch all the ghost shows. I don't think so, dude. No, 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 no. Yeah. Somebody so. asked too, because doing paranormal investigating, somebody asked me, what would I do if I saw a couple praying, those praying mantises standing by, by the side of my bed? And I smiled and said, well, wouldn't it be pretty? <laughs> <I'm> yeah. like, <laughs> no way. No yeah, way. There, there, uh, there's 
not much known about the prey mantises, but now that I've found several people that know more about them, right? Um, I myself, every time I would be visited by a master teacher, because when I had my spiritual awakening, it was through three master teachers in the ethereal realm, right? And it was done through the dream states and then in the awakening state. And I came to know that if a prey mantis was over my front door at the, there at the top, right. if it stayed for three days, I knew I would have an experience that night. Interesting. And so they were always there for that because they're, they're really sort of super consciousness beings. And I went to go do a, um, a conference about ETs in Mount Shasta and they put me in a sketchy motel <laughs> and I really didn't want to stay there and nobody else was staying there. And I got up to my room and, you know, there's a lot of shady characters outside drinking beer and getting all wasted and stuff. And um, the minute I got up to the door, it had a, a, a square plate that had a ledge on it that thick and a brown pa uh, prey mantis flew up and went right up on the top and I went, okay, I'm protected, I'm good. And that prey mantis stayed there on that door my entire stay. It never moved. You know, you make me wonder now because as a kid, there were always praying mantises in my yard. Constantly. Yeah. I would catch them, you know, and have them, yeah, you put them in jars, you know. So yeah. I always had a pet praying mantis. Now that I'm older, I don't see them anymore in the yard. And I'm just, maybe you may, you make me wonder about, maybe that was the sign that they were taking me when I was younger. It could be. It, it absolutely could be. And, you know, there's, it's, it's just interesting when you have experiences or if you have, if you know that you've just had a, uh, you've been maybe taken now. There's a difference when, when benevolent races bring you on board the craft. They're not bringing you on board the craft to take your genetic materials. They're bringing you on craft to be an experiencer to see what's going on, right? right. And sometimes when you come back, you might like if you get up and go take a shower, you might find something on your pillow like a prey mantis, right? right? So, but sometimes in in the ones with the grays that they usually sometimes they leave some kind of animal totem. Mm -hmm. So that's what you remember and it kind of erases the memory of it because it could be so traumatic. So, um, I mean, we know all about, you know, Whitley Strieber's experiences, you know, in communion and all of that. It was traumatic for him, but, you know, he's, he's come to terms with it. I do write about that area. He was in Hudson Valley, Pine Bush, Wow, that was a huge hotspot back in that in those times, and he was right in the thick of it. Why do you think hotspots cool off? Well, I think they cool off because 
either they they decide they're gonna take up residence somewhere else, right? Um, or like in Gulf Breeze when they were having all of those sightings down there in Florida in the 80s, early 90s, um, I believe that those were malevolent beings because one of my uh, contactees said uh, that the man that he was talking to from the stars said, if you ever see craft that look like beehives, run as far away as possible. They are the most malevolent beings in the universe, right? right? And this man who was capturing these ships looked like a triple-decker beehive, okay. right? And I remember when I read his book back when, um, because they were shooting blue beams down at him, right? And that kind of thing. And I, I remember that he was like telepathically hearing humans on board the craft screaming to be uh, let loose like they were in some kind of cage or some kind of something, right? right. Um, and uh, it was very interesting. And, and a lot of people sort of poo-pooed that case, but when I went in and I really did the MUFON investigative work, that place was seeing that was verified by MUFON, that place was seeing huge, vast amounts of not only just this one man, but like so many witnesses saw the same thing. They saw the ETs, they saw the actual beams going down. So it couldn't have been a mass hallucination because everybody was seeing it. And then, boop, it just ends right? The Hudson Valley, it ends. That's it. So we don't know. We don't know. But we, we do believe the Hudson Valley could have been more um, joint with the military and alien beings, and they were taking them out for flights, and now they just don't need to take them out for flights because they know how to fly them now. You know, maybe, maybe they're doing or maybe there's so many, you know, like like we talk about these hybrids and stuff, that there's so many concentrated in a certain area, and then once they tap out that area, they're out of there. There's so it could be so many explanations. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So what's next for you? Well, I'm uh, just sort of doing this little book tour now, and then um, uh, really working on the documentary so we could get it out next year. And that's really fun doing that. And, uh, and then, you know, my day job is casting movies and TV, which I'm doing, and I'm setting up several projects to do. And uh, I was the filmmaker on Stranger at the Pentagon, the book about Valiant Thor. And um, so I'm uh, setting up that as a feature film now. Uh, those are the whoop, posters behind me on that project. Cool. So, so yeah, just uh, just a little busy, but having fun. Absolutely. Well, mm -hmm. I want to thank you for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I could talk to you for hours. It was fun. I know. We'll do it again. 
how can people find you? Uh, they can uh, find me if they want to know about Stranger at the Pentagon at strangeratthepentagon.com. They can watch a short film there and all of Dr. Frank's uh, out-of-print books are there as well. And uh, if they want to buy any of my books, they can go to autobiographyofanet.com. Uh, my four book series is on the homepage and then the UFO hotspot and ET Almanac, uh, click in the tab, other books. And they're, of course, all on Amazon. They're in Barnes and Noble stores and on Barnes and Noble as well. Fair enough. Thank you so much again. We'll definitely have Thank to you. get on if you're willing to come on and join me. Because I'm Of course. Let's talk some ghosts. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. You have a good rest of your evening, okay? You too. All Bye. Right. Thank you so much, Craig. Bye. Okay. Anyway, sorry he was still talking. I hit the button too fast. Sorry about that. Anyway, that was a cool talk. That's some interesting stuff. And it kind of coincides with Nancy's story about the T-Rex. It's funny how I hear these things and they kind of pop in my head. Tomorrow, Nancy's with us. It's Casual Friday. We're going to be talking about, oh my gosh, my mind's like jello. We're going to be talking about our thoughts. How we can, how can we create the create things that are positive for us in our lives and make them happen, right? You know, like somebody told you, you're throwing it out to the universe. Like, I want to be, let's say, jokingly, okay, guys. Well, maybe not so jokingly. I want to win the lottery, right? I want to throw that out in the universe and see if the universe will catch it and run with it. That's what we're going to be talking about, manifesting, manifesting good things to happen to us. So that's what she's going to talk about. And she's going to tell you how you can manifest stuff like that to make things positive happen. Okay. That's tomorrow's topic. So it's going to be kind of cool. 6.30 p.m. Pacific. We'll be right here talking about that with her. Okay. Anyway, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. As usual, we're equal opportunity here. And uh, all we want to do is get the word out on this show. You know, YouTube shows us no love. Why, I don't know, but uh, I, think we're, I think we're a pretty good show. So if you could help me out by sharing the show, that would be great. You know, I want to get the word out to as many people as possible. As many, as many, as many. And again, if you are watching tonight from Facebook and you like what you see, please be sure to uh, share and like. All right? And uh, same thing with uh, YouTube. If you're watching from YouTube, please be sure to subscribe. It's that little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. Um, like I said, the more the merrier and go over there and check our check the videos out because there's something there for everybody. Okay. And of course, if, if you like the show, you don't want to miss any more videos either. So, uh, it'll let you know when we're going to do a show. All right. Anyway, I want to let you guys go tonight. Um, I hope you guys have a great evening and I'm happy because the weather is cooling down and that means no AC for me. And I'm really excited about that you know that it, it gave its last fight the weather did and uh took us up to 89 yesterday and today was only 82 and then that's it it drops off and i'm real excited about that pretty soon i'll be complaining because it's too bloody cold can't win i like tropical you know just right down the middle anyway thank you guys again and uh you see that ticker floating down at the bottom well that's that's because California Haunts doesn't take any money to investigate. We do it because we're trying to help people out. That's that's our job, to, to help and educate people. But uh, the truth of the matter is, to maintain everything like uh, hotel costs and internet costs, like for the show and, you know, my phone and, and the phone and the lights and all the stuff and all this equipment, 
it costs money. It costs money to do that. So if you guys could find it in your heart to help me to help us out a little bit to keep everything going, I'd really appreciate it. You know, if something breaks, we got we have to replace it right away. You know, and it's like I said, I got internet costs just like everybody else does and, and things like that. So, you know, nothing big. It doesn't have to be horribly, horribly large. But, you know, if you can find time or find it in your heart to do so, that'd be great. PayPal.me at California Hunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, that's Venmo and then just type in California Hunts. Anyhow, I will see you guys tomorrow. I'm going to give you some contact information for him. And you can see some, some of his books as well. Get him on Amazon and all that good stuff. And then I'm going to leave you. So here we go. Here's his contact information and the books. You got Greg. He's actually got his own website on that one. CraigCampovasso.com. C-A-M-P-O-B-A-S-S-O.com. And the book is The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac and the UFO Hotspot Commendum. Commendium. <laughs> Learn to read someday, too. And he's also got a um, sci-fi series, series called Walking Thyron. And he's got, uh, he's got several books in that series. And then you've got The Humanoid Revolution, which is a continuation of that. And then another book that I can't read at the moment because I'm blind. But anyway, you can find those on his website or at Amazon. Okay, guys, I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific with Nancy Matz. Have a good evening.